0: heads with me, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you, Father, that this morning here at church, uh, even though uh, the building is empty, we pray right now, Father, that the Holy Spirit can come and fill it up. We know, Lord, that in this time we celebrate one of the most beautiful moments that has happened in history, in the history of this world, And that is not just your death, but also your resurrection. We pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit can come and fill every heart of the people that is watching right now. I pray, Father, that in this quarantine, we can continue to stay safe, that we can continue to follow the guidelines, and that we can continue, Lord, most importantly, taking this time to seek you more every single day. Some have asked, oh, what am I going to do with all this free time? Oh, this is no better time, Lord, than to seek You, than to spend spend time with You, than to study Your Word and spend more time in prayer. Father God, we pray that the Holy Spirit can touch every single person that is watching right now. And we ask, Father, as we're about to start that your presence can be felt not just here, but in every home. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, Amen. And I actually heard you say, Amen, from your home. So praise the Lord for that. The message today is entitled, A Cross Examination. A cross-examination very relevant to our time here in Easter and very relevant to what is happening today. See, it is important to understand that though the Bible mentions suffering in almost every page, its purpose in mentioning it is more practical than philosophical. Its purpose is not so much to explain the origin of suffering as much as it is to teach us how to overcome suffering. During these times of COVID-19-ness. Uh, we see definitely different people uh, suffering in many different ways. Um, we see people uh, getting laid off their jobs and not being able to provide for their families, people applying for unemployment. We see people that are suffering physically by the effects of Of the COVID 19, and we have seen uh, the deaths in the world rise as this uh, virus continues to spread. And so the suffering in itself is happening as a domino effect. Therefore, everybody in some way, shape, or form is affected. See, we are people of reason, created with the capacity to think. We make choices. We make moral decisions, and we ask questions. And in many ways, we wish we had a book that answered the question to all of our wise. And we long for answers to those types of questions. And even though the Bible gives us a little bit of information, it does not necessarily satisfy a thinking individual when those questions dominate the landscape. Can I get somebody to just get me some water, please? Thank you very much. My throat is getting a little dry as I'm getting a little nervous, even though the uh, church building is empty. So, even though the Bible might not satisfy a thinking individual when those questions dominate the landscape, what the Bible does give us is the answer. To how we can be victorious even in the midst of suffering. There's a lot of Bible characters that have suffered throughout the time. Yes, I, I don't have my keys right with me; they're in the back. Sorry, we're just getting some water here. Even a cup would be fine, honestly, from the water fountain. Thank you very much. What the Bible does give us is the answer of how we can be victorious even in the midst of suffering because, like I was saying before, a lot of Bible characters suffered. And when you open the Bible, you find victory after victory of people that have depended on the Lord. So, when we are in the midst of our suffering, let us settle this in our minds God is not detached. From suffering. I'll say that again and maybe I'll say it a little bit differently. God is not detached from your suffering. God is not detached from my suffering. God is not detached from our suffering. Jesus became flesh and blood and he knows the suffering of a human being. So in other words, Jesus knows a thing or two about suffering. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. And we actually read this yesterday in our Vespers. <clears throat> That's a cough of thirstiness, not a cough of COVID. Just want to let you uh, know here. When the Bible talks about suffering, I think in 1 Peter chapter 2, it really brings a good perspective. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. And it says, by the way, if you're home, say amen. Type amen if you are able to uh, see it. Let me get some water here real quick. Oh, and I got two. Excellent. And I'm saying amen for the water. One here and one here so it looks nice. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 18, we'll go ahead and start. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was the seed found in his mouth. Let me stop right there. When we look at the Bible, when we look at this context, it applies to all manners of suffering. We are reminded, and we talked yesterday, about how Jesus committed no sin, Yet Jesus suffered. So in other words, my friends, Jesus left, of an, left us an example that even God himself, even God himself suffered. I want you to wrap your mind around that right now, okay? Because we were studying yesterday about how God himself in the form of Jesus did the human things remember if jesus had to go from jericho to damascus god had to walk if jesus or in, or in this particular instance if the story of the prodigal son somebody had to chase their son and ran towards him you need to you need to think that the fact that god himself ran In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God himself asked, why? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, remember, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus walked. Jesus ran. Jesus asked why. Jesus suffered. God walked, God ran, God asked why, God suffered. He is no stranger to that. Remember, so many times we think that by being Christians, we are exempt from the suffering and nothing could be farther from the truth. But God is in the business of identifying with us, but not just identifying with us, but bringing out something beautiful out of that suffering. We must be extremely careful when we talk to others about suffering. We have no right, no authority, or or knowledge to be able to tell people why they are suffering. In fact, every time, every time that a Bible character asked God why they were suffering... God stayed silent. We think of Job going through his depression and God never fulfilled the why answer. We think of Jesus asking, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was silence. Yesterday we were mentioning that all of these things were happening on a Friday, where Peter had denied Christ, where Judas had betrayed Christ, where Mary was just worried, where Jesus was dead, where the guard was guarding the tomb and the stone was rolled into the tomb and sealed. All of these things happen on a Friday, but just remember that for every Friday, there's a Sunday that is coming with a Sabbath in between. If you're thinking, when is this going to end, and you might be going through something like this, my friends, stand close to God because He is the one that is able to take you through this and also bring something beautiful out of it. Jesus suffered, he never sinned. If there was a direct cause and effect from everything we've committed in our lives, I'm going to tell you something, we would all be dead. The suffering in this world happens to everybody, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an atheist, whether you serve God or you don't serve God, to the rich, to the poor. In fact, like I said yesterday, in the Bible, it says that the Son shines and the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous so in other words nobody is exempt in this world from that suffering if we continue in first peter chapter 2 verses 23 just continue in the same chapter it says here who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So suffering is basically unavoidable, but in the midst of it, we can have victory. But how? We commit ourselves to god every single day that is the only way that you can have victory and that is the way that god brings victory in itself to your life by you committing himself to him in hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 turn that with me turn turn over there with me if you please hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 And I'll give you a few seconds to get there. If you have to flip through your Bible, if you have to uh, turn your Bible on on your phone, on your iPad, whatever device you want to use, Hebrews 12, verses 1, 2, 3. And it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, verse 3, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus had a motivation to suffer, and that is when he kept his eyes on the prize, the motivation is you. The motivation is me. The motivation is every single person that said, I accept you, Lord. And also the motivation is every single person that rejected him. Because God is that good. Because God is that loving. Suffering is unavoidable. But when hard times come, turn to God. Jesus has been through them. Suffering is a tool that is used primarily from the devil, and its primary purpose is to get us discouraged and walk away from God. Some have said, I wouldn't let my children go through this Why would God allow me to go through what I'm going through? It's almost funny because, you know, now that I have a son, some of these things really come to play. As parents, we like to, you know, avoid the mistakes that our parents made with us and to our children, and we like to pass these things on. It's almost like we don't want our children to suffer the same way that we do, and in some ways they don't. But also, you need to remember that everybody suffers in a different way. And it doesn't matter what kind of way you suffer, God still can use that suffering to bring about his will. We are to turn toward God instead of away. And when we do that, we will find something that, couldn't find any, that we couldn't find any other way and that is a God whose arms are open wide to comfort and love us and help us through difficulties we never dreamt someone could help us through. God Himself, He knows that every single part of who you are is here or at home because of the choices that you have made. Every single one of you, whether you grew up in the church or whether you did not grow up in the church, it doesn't matter what your past is. In fact, there are people that have grown up in the church and have still not found God. But I'm telling you right now that God himself is the one that brings in this righteousness, not caring who grew up where, but simply caring who has come to him today. We are to turn toward God instead of away. Now, I want to share a couple of verses with you in Hebrews as well that might blow you away a little bit. But Hebrews, we're going to go into chapter 2 and first start in verse 10. And then we're going to look at another Hebrews passage. By the way, I personally believe, as you're turning, that Hebrews, even though scholars say that there are, well, there's different theories, of course, as to who wrote the book of Hebrews, I personally believe it was the Apostle Paul. You know, we see, you know, some of the, uh, um, the, the, the other epistles that were written, you know, the ones to the Thessalonians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians. And even though Hebrews is written a little bit differently, I see this as Paul's Ph.D. A little bit of a different wording, a little bit of a different uh, type of feel, but yet it's the same author, the same author with the same message. Hebrews chapter 2, we're talking about Jesus here. Paul is talking about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, it says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Huh. How about that? It was fitting for him to make the captain of their salvation perfect. Perfect through sufferings. First and foremost, who is the captain of our salvation? It's Christ himself. It is Jesus himself. But hold on. Jesus was made perfect through sufferings? Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5 now, verses 8 and 9. And it says... Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Whoa, what is going on here? Hold on. Jesus became perfect? I thought he already was perfect. What is going on right here? How is it that he became perfect? See, the word in Greek is teleos. Perfection meaning not a stage that we arrive in, but rather maturation. Being mature. Even though Jesus was sinless, his experience with God grew deeper and deeper and deeper. And even though Jesus was human, he always gave credit to God as to the miracles that he did. And he always emphasized how he and God were one and how he and God were connected, which by the way, he had the same resource that you and I have because you and I can also depend on God on our every waking second. It is describing here, in this type of maturation, a process that made Jesus perfect. His sufferings were the testing ground in which his obedience became full grown. So in other words, Jesus himself, God himself, also had to be perfected through suffering. And as a result, Jesus is today at the right hand of God, interceding for us as our great high priest. Jesus himself was telling us that, hey, you think you're going through something? I think I have an idea. I know a thing or two. Don't think of suffering as something that is negative necessarily, but think of the outcome that it can actually bring. Now you're thinking, Pastor, what do you know? And, he, and some of you are probably thinking, how dare you think of this? How dare you even say this? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what suffering I had to go through. You don't know the type of uh, suffering that I had to grow up with, etc., etc. And you might be right. I might have no idea whatsoever. But God does. Jesus does. You know, I'm only a human being. I can only have a limited amount of thought of what all of us went through. And in fact, there's, when we meet people, we usually have no idea what their background is, what suffering they have been through, what their struggles are. But God Himself does. God Himself knows you from your head to your toe. God knows every single hair that is on your head. Jesus Himself became perfect through suffering. God Himself became perfect through suffering. In fact, James actually. Uh, which is the next book after Hebrews, he emphasizes this. In chapter 1, verse 2, follow me as I read James 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh, are you kidding me? How realistic is this? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Follow me. Not knowing, or so, I'm sorry, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Another emphasis, my friends, of how the sufferings themselves, the temptations, the trials of life make you who you are today. But the end result all depends on how much you want to depend on your Lord and Savior. Count it all joy. The testing of your faith produces patience. By the way, I understand that going through it, it does not feel pretty at all. But God says, I know. And God says, it will not be forever. And God also says, you are being molded into the image of Christ. There is something about suffering that helps us grow spiritually, and it helps us mature. In fact, there's a little poem that goes like this. I walk a mile with gladness. She chatted all the way. And never a thing I learned from her for all she had to say. Yet, but I walked a mile with sadness, and never a word said she. But, oh, the things I learned that day, that sadness walked with me. When things are going great, we often forget that God is there. We don't need Him at that time. God says, praise me every day, every time. But it's almost like whenever the suffering happens, that is when we turn to God. And maybe the relationship is not as strong as it ought to be. But there in itself lies an opportunity for the relationship to be strong. So let me ask you this. Where does suffering come from? Some say that it happens because we sinned. You know, a perfect example of that. We think of Job and his friends. You must have done something to deserve this. Don't be like like Job's friends. We cannot say that. Maybe God will stop something. He sets a border. Because remember, when we read First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, maybe we've read it before. But but First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen, it says, "No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to hear it." By the way. The author of Hebrews, and you can argue with me on this, is the same author of Corinthians. So he knows a thing or two also about suffering. Paul himself was writing all of these epistles in quarantine. Not in the comfort of his home with Wi-Fi, with food, on his computer, no, he was in a dungeon, a cell, cold, clammy, with chains. And yet, he found joy in those trials. Why? Because he was seeking God. So, how can God turn suffering upon us into victory for us? How does God use suffering? Well, I think he does it three different ways. And we see three illustrations in the Bible. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. I'll give you a few seconds. You can type amen on the feed when you're there. The question is, how can God turn suffering upon us into victory for us? Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 5, and it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which which speaks to you as to sons. Sorry about my English. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? The word chasten here should be really translated as discipline. But if you are without discipline or chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. "'Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us "'and we paid them respect. "'Shall we not much more readily be in subjection "'to the Father of spirits and live? "'For they indeed for a few days chastened or disciplined us as seemed best to them.' But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. And then we'll end with this one. Now, no discipline, okay, listen to this. Now, no discipline or chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Some of you can really relate to this one. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We look at that. And we see here the example of a father disciplining their child. Now, if I was to ask you, parents out there, do you like disciplining your child? That's a trick question. That is a trick question technically. Whether you like it or not, the point is is that discipline is necessary because God is about disciplining his children. In his wisdom, he knows what, what we need. In his wisdom, he knows where we need to be polished. In Hebrews 12, we see a father disciplining a child. Turn with me to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. And I want you to keep these examples in mind. We have the father disciplining his child in Hebrews 12. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Keep going. We're going to to stop in verse 7, but just keep following me here in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 talks about a God, a father, disciplining their child. 1 Peter is talking about a metal worker refining gold through the fire. So we have a father disciplining a child. We have a metal worker refining gold. Please turn with me to our last example, and we're about done here. But in John chapter 15... The book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. You've heard this one many times. And it says, I am the true vine, verse 1, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, listen to this, he prunes, okay? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So three examples over here, we have a father disciplining a child, a metal worker refining gold, and a gardener pruning his vine. All three metaphors, they describe a negative process, but all three underline the positive result, the child's good, the metal's purity, and the vine's fruitfulness. Suffering fosters perseverance. Suffering develops humility. Suffering purifies faith. Let me ask you a question to close our message today. Should we pray, listen to this, should we pray for suffering? Should we pray for suffering? You know what? The short answer to that, Take is whatever you want to make it. You can pray yes, you can pray no. You can say yes, you can say no, because you know what? That's irrelevant. Because suffering will come no matter what. It'll come unannounced, unwanted, and inconveniently. What we should pray for is a faith to serve God through the suffering. And trust that through them we can become that mature person that He wants us to be. So today, Easter, Easter Sabbath, I should say, what does Calvary teach us? God teaches us through Calvary that. He is not detached from human suffering and pain, that God through Christ has overcome human suffering and pain, that his death is real and that death itself is conquered, that hope is not a fantasy or fairy tale. Jesus overcame every suffering imaginable. All hell was poured out on him seeking his his destruction. But you know what? The good news today, even though all hell was put on him, Is that Jesus beat hell. Is that Jesus became victorious. And today, He is victorious. And because He is victorious, He offers that victory to you and to me. He beat it. He suffered through it. And because of that, He is risen. He is risen. He lives. He is with us. He is for us. He is not against us. And the best part of it is that He is coming again for us. When we examine the cross, we see a God that is not detached from human suffering and a God that loves you because He did all of this for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we are celebrating one of the most beautiful events in history, we also know, Father God, that your Spirit is with us and teaches us what suffering really is like. Lord, we live in very, very particular times right now where the comfort that we have Is something that we take for granted. While others are out there dying and suffering, we are here, Father, still with the privilege of being able to praise and worship you. Father God, we pray that your Spirit continues to guide us, to teach us. And Lord, as we see the different types of suffering that you show us in the Bible, Whether it's a father disciplining his child, whether it's a gardener pruning his vines, or whether it's a metal worker refining the gold, Father God, we want to say today that even though you still can relate to us in the suffering, we want to say that we trust you. Lord, this may mean a cancellation of a lot of things Maybe we had plans, Father God. Maybe we had so many things that were in line for us, but because of these things happening, they're no longer there. Father, remind us that you are still in control, that you are in control of our lives because you have the world in your hands. And if this needs to happen, Father, for you to come and get us sooner, even so, let it be. Come, Lord Jesus, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.